to Tauranga now, and how are your fingernails holding up so far, Sam Ackerman? Good morning. Good morning. I've got to admit, I'm uh, I'm mostly in the excitement realm. Good. I'm it's a, it's a it's a test that uh, has so much implications, obviously, for uh, rugby in this country, uh, and how a uh, an era of all black rugby can be and will be defined. There's a lot. There's a lot on it. It's a rugby World Cup knockout game, quarterfinal against Ireland and the thing that I love as well there's always good storylines when it comes to big matches you can look if you look for them you can find them but this is an Irish team that has not once not ever gone out of uh, gone past the quarterfinals in the Rugby World Cup this is the number one team in the world right now as far as ranking as far as Ireland goes they've won 17 tests in a row if they win this they'll equal the record for the most uh, and by a tier one nation which is the All Blacks England and Hull uh, and they will be the most successful Irish rugby team of all time. No matter what, if they win the World Cup or not, they'll have gone to places this team has never gone before. So there is so much on the line, so much uh, to play for. The it, it 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 feels like it's got an epic about it. I know it's a quarterfinal, uh, and we do usually tend to save those type of things for the the back end. But yeah, you know, it's, it's it's got so much on the line for a uh, for the for world rugby as well. This is uh, if the All Blacks get knocked out here in Ireland, become this, then you can't argue about where the balance of power sits now. So, I'm I'm excited, Catherine. I mean, I that's a great approach, a, a, actually. A win or lose, let's hope it's just an epic match. Uh, and uh, that's the difference between now and 2007, where the, where they did go out in the quarterfinals, the All Blacks. So, people know, and the All Blacks know what they're up against here. They're going in borderline underdogs, if anything, but they certainly know they're going up against a competitor who can beat them, uh, and a form competitor. And does that change things, actually? It should, because at 2007, that team should never have lost. That team was uh, should never have lost to France on that occasion. This team, is they're not borderline underdogs. They're completely, absolutely the underdogs. It's a, a, a just read before that form one for, for Ireland. But this is a World Cup. Uh, and it can. It's quite funny. The one of the great trends of uh, from coming out through this World Cup is uh, the Irish crowds uh, singing in full voice uh, the great Irish hit "Zombie" uh, into the games, and that's what it is. It's in their head. It's all in their head. If they can get through the stumbling block of knowing that no one's ever gone there before, they'll be thoroughly dangerous. But it's up to the All Blacks to almost do a George Gregan, the four more years thing, get in their head and make sure they know that they're in a stage that they haven't been to before. So. Uh, yeah, it's uh, my my biggest concern as far as the game goes, Catherine, is the tactics. Um, Ian Foster has uh, proven himself to have um, the ability to get his team up to win big games. When his career uh, and this era was on the line in South Africa, he stepped up. Uh, the performances at the start of the year uh, were again big big observation. Um, the whole world paying attention, and this All Blacks team can deliver, and they can deliver here. But I don't think they can deliver without being extremely aggressive or at, uh, at least having um, a bit of flair to them. An all-back team that plays it safe is not an all-back team that wins. And I felt um, in the game against uh, France at the start of this World Cup, the tactics in their biggest game that we've seen so far in this tournament were safe. They were like, Let's put, put the kick away, the lose the kick. Fold. And actually talking to Sir, oh, please, Sir Wayne Smith a week please. ago about this, his point was uh, you either kick a ball that your own team member's going to catch, preferably a winger who then scores in the corner, or you kick to genuine space where the seagulls are. This pointless kicking that just hands over possession and no one knows what the hell comes next. 
Uh, it's an interesting point you make about aggression, and it's just we've been the, our very amateurish um, but very dedicated rugby watching crew here. Um, my, my colleagues are saying you want them to go for it, open up a big lead in the first half, and, and then hold on to whatever comes back. Now, that's a big ask because that's going to take risk. Ireland will run at us too. Ireland will kick to their wingers too. One of the things that struck me about them is that they look like an all-black side in top form. But if yes. you don't go out with that kind of boldness, it is hard to see how you're going to beat this side. Well, certainly there's, there's, there still feels to be somewhat of a safety first uh, to this All Blacks team. And uh, a big a big point to that is on the bench. Now, the bench will you know come into play, all things being considered, probably in the last half an hour, 20 minutes, depending on how things work. But the selection of Finlay Christie as the backup halfback over uh, Cam Roygaard is, is, to me, a sign that he is uh, he's, he's sound as a pound. Uh, Finlay Christie is passing games great, stronger defensively as well. But he, is, he will come on with a continuation of the game plan. Whereas Cam Roygaard would come on and be much like Byron Kelleher in the early stages of his career. And, and Damon McKenzie, who in fairness is on the bench, comes on and offers something different, can break a game open when you need it. I feel he's erring on the side, uh, Ian Foster and the selectors of wanting to have that consistency through. And that's backing your game plan, but it's also giving no option for busting it up. Cam Roygaard is the X factor uh, within New Zealand rugby over the over the past uh, few months, when he's been involved with the All Blacks, he's earned his way there from being irrepressible, undeniable. Uh, and many people find it strange that he's not picked in this situation. But also, but that this half is the back first five about. position is often where a match like this is controlled. I'm thinking of Dan Carter in was it 2011, yep. 2011, 2015. He was out in one of them. He was out in 2011, wasn't yeah, he? Out for, out for 2015. The final for the and in yep. the second half of that match, brilliant first five that he was. He just took total and utter control of the tactics, whether the ball was passed, where it was kicked, where it was kicked to, whether we were back in the 25 of our opponents or whatever. And a halfback can play a similar role. They're the game makers, to to your point. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and shout out to Dan Carter being inducted to the uh, IRB, well, World Rugby, sorry, Hall of Fame uh, this week. Good on him. Uh, but I, I like I like what the All Blacks have. I like the way the All Blacks can play. Things change with... Uh, uh, Lester Fainuku coming in on the wing because uh, Mark Talia broke curfew, would you believe, uh, in the uh, quarterfinal week and was stood down. Um, unbelievable. But look, Fainuku, again, brings size, power, and he can he can bust a game open. There are options there. Rico Ioane, we've seen it. Geordie Barrett. We know that the All Blacks have weapons. They need to use those weapons. You can't do that when the ball is not in their hands. Okay, uh, let's let's wait and see what unfolds. And the main thing I hope for anyway is a really good match with both sides put their best performance out on the day. Uh, and I'll I forgive can whatever else happens. I can handle all that loss if they go out fighting. If, uh-huh, if they're, exactly. they're giving everything they can. Now those have already gone out, well and truly. They were nearly <laughs> given a last minute chance by Portugal's mighty performance against Fiji, but no, they're out, the Wallabies. What's happening with the ongoing saga of coach Eddie Jones? The noise is getting even louder, even louder, would you believe, Catherine, before he's going to jump ship to uh, Japan. He's arrived back to Australia, passing the no comment, mates, as he comes through the airports, committed to Australia. But he's meeting with Rugby Australia over the coming days, and there's a press conference set for Monday. So how that pans out will be anyone's business. But a lot of reports, very reputable reports coming through that he has been lined up to be Japan's coach. Now, if if he is to go... I can't understand why Japan is going for him, for example. I know they've got history and he's been great from the past, but he has run the last two international teams he has had, being England uh, and Australia, back into a time warp, taking them back 
and and absolutely denigrating the product and what they can put out. Why would you want this guy to come in uh, in a scenario like that? And if he does, he'll never be allowed back. Surely that he'd have to surrender his passport. He, if he if he takes the picks this team uh, with an eye on 2027 and bails within six months of the contract, he can't be allowed back in Australia ever, surely, which would be very difficult given that the next World Cup is in Australia. But man, this is one well, of the most interesting stories. It was stories. Dave Rennie who got the boot for him, wasn't it? I mean, where do they go after this? Is there anyone else... Ready. Well, apparently Stephen Larkham is uh, is next in line. He's a great rugby brain. He's uh, been working his way through the coaching ranks, but uh, I, I think they're better to go someone internal, somebody who can be uh, some that you can lean into, someone you can actually uh, you know say, well, he's got the Wallabies culture, he knows it, and let him build it. Let's uh, stay with the coaching for a moment and look at uh, rugby league. Wonderful season for the Warriors, as we said. Uh, what's happening with the New Zealand Kiwis coaching position? Yeah, this is a really interesting one. Now, Michael Maguire, an Australian uh, who has been the coach of the New Zealand uh, men's rugby league team for uh, since 2018, it is. So he's been around for a while. Uh, he is now, by all reports, about to be named as the New South Wales State of Origin coach. Now, their season doesn't really mix, uh, you know, don't, don't clash really. It's from about March till about July if you're going to be the coach of uh, New South Wales. Uh, so that's okay. But the New South Wales, Queensland, state of origin, all feeds into the Australian side. That's the you know, one of the big purposes of it. And while there's some who play for Samoa and the like, it's a feeder system for the kangaroos. And for the Kiwis coach to be building on that, surely we've seen somewhere as a conflict of interest. So there's talk that he can do both. We will see. There's a Pacific Championship with New Zealand's part of starting this weekend. So the timing is absolutely terrible as far as that focus. New Zealand's not playing uh, this weekend. They've got the uh, the bye being just three teams playing in it, and they'll play uh, Samoa next week in uh, at Eden Park. So the timing's not great. But for me, if, if it is the time for Michael McGuire to go, uh, then it has to be a New Zealand coming in because we've got options now. We should be ready to invest. And my number one pick, Stacey Jones, one of the greatest to play the game, similar to Stephen Larkham. He will have buy-in. Uh, he's been the assistant coach at the Kiwi, at the Warriors for a while now. He's been involved in the Kiwi setup, uh, and I know how much he loves that black jersey. I think he'd go uh, into the role with the right coaching structure around him. So fingers crossed that's what the future holds. But, yeah, we'll wait and see with Michael Maguire. Now what's happening with the Phoenix, please? So the, the women's season starts. Now, remember, uh, women's football, this country went absolutely gaga with the FIFA World Cup. So you would have hoped there'd be a bit of rub uh, that would go on to the women's team. Not so much, it, uh, it turns out. Uh, David Dome, the general manager of the Phoenix, is literally coming forward and having to appeal, saying that the season starts this weekend at, in uh, the capital at Sky Stadium. And he's, he's, in his words, he's dumbfounded by the lack of interest. And uh, they, you know, there's a couple of football ferns in there and uh, Annalie Longo and uh, Michaela Foster as well. So there's you know, some some familiar players, but also it's just a chance to get in and support uh, this team and, and better follow that passion through and help that uh, next uh, step for children and you know young men and women to want to have a team they can look up to. And you can't put it down to price as well because the Phoenix are bending over backwards. And I, you know, I'm not here to shout their... Uh, their marketing from the rooftops, but you can literally buy for this weekend a family pass for forty bucks, a child gets in for nine bucks, and an adult for seventeen. So the, you're not going to get better bang for buck uh, for a sport of that level going anywhere. So, and, and if you're a, a, all, all registered junior members under sixteen in, the, in Wellington, if you play for a club there, they all get free memberships for the season. So I really hope there's a big turnout because I, I hate for New Zealand to be that one that just jumps up and down for the major events. How much we fall in love with women's football, then suddenly desert it. Now the Black Caps. So uh, where are we up to? Uh, Bangladesh. Is that their next match? Yep, they've got uh, Bangladesh. Not something I'd usually be uh, trumpeting about in the World Cup um, 
I'd say, uh, fair to say, uh, Catherine, but I'm, it's the return of Kane Williamson. He hasn't played for New Zealand in seven months. So if New Zealand is to go deep in this tournament, I feel he needs to be a part of it. Yes, we've gone well without him so far, but his uh, steadying influence and what he can bring to this team would be just monumental. So how he goes fitness-wise and getting some uh, time under his belt will be a really big deal here because some of the top teams already find themselves under pressure. Australia have lost both their games so far, Catherine, after getting flogged by South Africa. So getting uh, wins against teams like Bangladesh as well as getting the net run rate up and winning well. So if it comes down to a tie, you can get yourself. We, we know World Cups and countback systems are a very dodgy place to be. So own the destiny, I say. Uh, and Silver Ferns underway at the moment as well. Yes, uh, unfortunately so. Uh, taking Australia in the Constellation Cup, an event I really look forward to, but the gap right now between Australia and New Zealand feels big. Uh, it was 10 points in the first test last night, but the the gap for me isn't the scoreboard. The gap is the difference in intensity, and the uh, the Diamonds are just a level ahead of, of the Silver Ferns right now. I don't think it's a surprise for anyone who follows netball that that is the case, but it was really clear. They're aggressive. They're hungry. The defense is really stifling. Uh, the lights went out at one point. <laughs> That's delayed the third quarter, but they got back underway. And while um, New Zealand has been looked at like they're rebuilding, uh, they were without Grace Nowicki. And if we'd said back in the day that there was no Irene Van Dyke, um, you would have said, oh, well, you expect the shooting levels to be down. And, and Grace is the current uh, benchmark in that regard. So one game more over there and then two games we played over here. I really hope that uh, the Silver Ferns can find a little bit of something that resembles parity once it's back on this side of the Tasman because Dame Nolan Toto has extended a contract, but it's only until the end of the international season in July in, uh, January. rather. So be interesting to see uh, how this is all painting into her future plans. Now, you've got 90 seconds to explain... Uh the breaking of marathon records, and we've been there before, a debate over shoes. We've had it with swimsuits. Uh, are we now back to the arguments over the technology of running shoes and their relativity to world records? In a massive way. The, the world records, two of them, the men's and women's, have been smashed in the space of two weeks. Uh, the men's one was done in Chicago, uh, by uh, beaten by 35 seconds uh, by Calvin Kipton. Two hours uh, and was it 35 seconds, the first time under the two hours, one-minute mark. Pretty amazing in Chicago there, but it's all down the shoe tech. Now, the, the women's record was broken uh, in, uh, with Adidas shoes that are 800 bucks and they're designed to be optimum for one one marathon. That's it. Uh, and these are, are development shoes uh, by, uh, that Kipton one with men's, men's ones for Nike. So it is literally the battle of the shoe, super shoes. People are talking about how the shoes are now creating the edge. And that is, uh, that's not a place you want marathon and, and sprinting to be. And I think that it's actually time to start talking about well, these world records and athletics being looked at like tennis, i.e. the open era. We, we talk about who uh, the results achieved by people within the open era. And I think the same needs to be done within the tech era because it's getting, uh, we're seeing some great uh, achievements overridden by technology uh, it's a bit sad so hopefully uh, it doesn't get too far out of hand but yep super the battle of the super shoes are just as big as whose names are on the on the list now unfortunately Catherine I'm just googling I'm trying to remember who it was who ran in the, the great New Zealand athlete who ran in barter bullets it might have been Peter Snapple <laughs> I'm just googling <laughs> god bless barter bullets no I, I didn't even pay attention to the shoes back then <laughs> I don't know it, it wasn't the conversation <laughs> but barter bullets yes I can tell you when I wore barter bullets they did not break any world records no None they didn't um, I'm sure that was the Shoe. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> that and good luck for two. Uh, good luck for Sunday morning. It is at some unlordly hour. Uh, well, eight o'clock really. Uh, not too unlordly. Thank you, Sam Ackerman.